1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Tampa Bay, Florida, and here's your top five at five fear rising on the street. Stocks set to sink as bonds get bought and yields move to multi month lows. Part of the reason big tech under fire as some three dozen states unveil a massive antitrust lawsuit against Google defying Beijing. One hot Chinese startup is looking to make its public debut in New York, even in the face of China's IPO crackdown. Jamie Dimon making the case to get his crew back in the office, saying it's all about spontaneous combustion. And lightning does strike twice as Tampa Bay takes home the Stanley Cup for a second year in a row. It is Thursday, July 8th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us on what is already shaping up to be a very busy Thursday morning with stock futures making a very sharp move lower. This just one day after the S&P 500 hit another all-time high. Dow futures off 346. NASDAQ futures off 147. Now, there is no screaming reason why this is happening. There is not some big, bold, red headline that says, This is happening. And so stock futures are down, maybe a culmination of a lot of things. We'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But check out the action in Dow futures over the last 12 hours. You can see when we began making that move lower right around 2 a.m. Eastern time, futures were down a bit and then they started to sell off pretty significantly. Now, as stocks have sunk, bonds have gotten bought. And when bonds go up, yields go down. In fact, A dramatic move lower for the 10-year in just the past several hours. It now stands at its lowest level since February 18th at 1.26%. For the week, the 10-year yield is down some 14% since last Friday. Remember, Scott Minard of Guggenheim's Contrarian Rate Call, looking very good. By the way, you'll hear from him exclusively on this show tomorrow. Very good time to have Scott back on. Looking at the entire yield curve, you got the two-year you got the 15-year and you got a five-year low for the 30-year bond. Yields across the board, moving down. A lot of nerves out there in the market this morning. I guess if you want to find an upside, borrowing costs will also go down. Speaking of going down, crude oil also making a move lower off multi-year highs. And you say, well, why, Brian? Haven't you been telling us that this, the OPEC deal is currently in force? No new barrels are going to be on the market? Yes, yes. But there's also a real fear, as we've talked about, that the OPEC plus agreement entirely could break up or more companies may or countries rather may simply start pumping as much oil as they want. Kind of a free for all in the oil markets. That concern is setting the price of oil down today. All right. A lot going on around the world. Europe following our lead lower as well. So let's find exactly what exactly is happening in the European markets. Karen Cho is live in our London newsroom with. A whole red wall of lower moves behind you, Karen. Good morning.
2: Brian, good morning. I am swamped in red here. And you mentioned nerves and fears. That is dominating the psychology here in Europe this morning. European equities have followed Asian stocks into the red, this after the Hang Seng of losses over concerns about that expanding crackdown on the technology sector in China. Now, here in Europe, the euro stocks volatility index is rising to highs not seen since June, with banking stocks in particular under pressure. Now, the ECB will release the findings of its strategic review today, which marks the first major overhaul of the central bank strategy since 2003. It will include changes to inflation targeting and climate policies. A snap announcement uh, was made overnight around the press conference, so that has impacted uh, some of the big banking stocks, which has pulled these markets lower. Along with what you're seeing in some of the big recovery plays, namely basic resources and autos, those sectors aggressively sold off this morning. You can see German stocks down the most of the core markets between the UK, France and and uh, the uh, german market but on the periphery deeper falls on the italian and spanish markets more than two percent now in stock news auto giant stellantis says it expects first half operating profit margins to top four-year targets crediting a strong response to the global chip shortage and you can see that stock also trading lower despite some upbeat news today so i think those are u.s futures not helping us out today either brian
1: No, certainly not. And a lot going on. We'll get more in Stellantis as well. Karen Cho in our London newsroom. Thank you very much. Well, obviously, folks, it is going to be a big market day with futures down more than 300 points. Let's talk about exactly what might be going on. And more importantly, where we may be headed. Joining us now is RBC Capital Markets Head of U.S. Equity Strategy, Lori Calvasina. Lori, it's great to have you on. Obviously, something is going on. Not exactly sure what. We normally have a, a big, bold reason for a move like this no. in in futures i, I can 't see one maybe you know uh, we 're off record highs, so it 's listen you don 't want to make too much of it. What do you think is happening right now
3: So look, I, I agree with you I think it 's probably a lot of little things weighing on sentiment right now, and we actually conducted our quarterly u s equity investor survey at the end of June, wrapped it up last week. Um, And the thing that we noticed was that if you kind of look across all the different questions we asked, optimism did appear to be fading, not just on the not only on the broader U.S. equity market outlook, but also on things like the economy. So if you look at economic optimism, we ask people, how do you think the economy is going to do over the next six to 12 months? We found that back in our March survey, 93 percent were optimistic, either bullish or very bullish, and that had dwindled down to about 72 percent in this last survey. So still a very positive tilt, but also a very meaningful full move down. Uh, We also found at the same time that faith in reflation trades like small cap and value um, had eroded. So still two of the top areas people expected outperformance, but a big degradation versus the March survey. Um, And then the last thing I would just tell you is we're headed into reporting season next week. And we actually asked people, you know, what do you think is going to be happening in terms of margins? um, And do you think inflationary pressures are baked in? We found that there was a lot of concern that inflationary pressures are not properly baked into estimates. And we found that those expecting margin expansion dropped to 39 percent from the 70s back in the March survey. Um, so I think those are, you know, clearly, you know, it's economic optimism that's starting to fade. Positioning starting to be questioned and earnings season making buy a little bit nervous.
1: Yeah. And Lori, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm old enough to remember, you know, every July for the last 20 years, a little seasonality also is expected. We are on record highs, but I want to repeat that. We are on record highs for tech and the S&P 500. A little down move, a little pause that refreshes, a little correction, whatever you want to call it. These are not necessarily bad things.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the other thing we noticed in the survey was that concerns about valuation actually ticked up versus the March survey. Um, so, again, you know, we're sort of in your camp. We've hit my 43.25 target on the S&P 500. We see things like rich valuations, um, a potential peak in S&P 500 EPS growth. And, you know, you mentioned seasonality, Brian, but if you just go back to the historical playbook around recoveries coming out of recessions, whenever we get this early cycle peak in S&P 500 EPS growth, the rate of change not the dollar level stocks are usually down six months later and up 12 months later markets do have a hard time digesting deceleration on the earnings growth front and we are right smack dab in the middle of that right now
1: yeah panic selling last year maybe panic buying in last year and through this year it sounds like what you're saying is Lori, in a year stocks are likely to be higher than they are now but expect some pockets of weakness maybe not just today
3: Exactly. And look, I think that at the end of the day, investors, it's been just a ferocious ride. Um, and I think a lot of investors recognize that we've you know, sort of exceeded the recovery that we had coming off the 2009 lows, in fact. And it's really hard. I go back to this S&P EPS data point. It's really hard to imagine EPS growth in the back half of this year coming in better than the 60 percent that's expected to come in now, even if it is quite strong. Um, And so I think investors sort of understand what that playbook typically is. You know, we also got the Fed minutes yesterday, and we had a big reset in tightening expectations that happened after that last meeting. And so I think investors got another reminder of that yesterday. Um, And typically, you know, I mentioned positioning, sort of people are digesting what to do there. You do typically see that when the Fed hikes rates, that these reflation trades come to an end, that you tend to see small-cap outperformance versus large-cap peak. Value tends to do very well in the run-up to rate hikes, but then we tend to see growth take over. And we also tend to see cyclicals take a breather. Now, that's not all to say that these trades have to go away right now. There's still valuation room for them. But there is a little bit of an end in sight for some of these. And investors understand that.
1: Yeah. Quickly, Lori, uh, are you shocked at how low 10 year yields are moving right now?
3: I'm shocked. And, you know, look, I will tell you, the investors in our survey were shocked. We asked them where you think yields are going to go. And most people are in the two to three percent camp. And that seems to be, you know, sort of a a far ways off at this moment in time. So I think that move, whatever is driving it, it's taken equity investors as a negative surprise.
1: Well, they might be they might want to be in the one point two or one point three percent camp at this point. (laughs) Lori Calvacino of RBC. Lori, it's a real pleasure to have you on an important day. Always appreciate your voice. Thank you very much. All Thanks right, for having let's me. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top stories. You're welcome, including an update on just how many jobs were lost around the world due to lockdowns from the pandemic. Christina Partsenevolos is here with that and more. Christina, good morning.
4: Good morning, Brian. So, as many as 22 million jobs were lost in advanced economies around the world due to the pandemic, and this is according to a new report from the OECD. So, while job retention programs may have saved some 21 million jobs globally, the threat of unemployment among low-skilled workers is likely to be a long is likely to be long-term, as many of those jobs lost during the crisis will not be recovered or likely not to be recovered. Chinese startup Li Fang has reportedly filed confidentially for a U.S. IPO that. Could could raise as much as $500 million. According to new report, the Beijing based convenience store chain could go public as soon as this year, but talks about the size of the offering and its timeline are ongoing. The filing comes as China moves to rein in domestic company listings in any international market, especially here in New York, as we know. So fallout from the continued crackdown being felt across the board this morning. So check out some of these top laggards in the NASDAQ 100 right now in pre market trading. So you've got JD.com, Baidu, uh, just all. All trading negative right now, and these are shares of Chinese companies all down big across the board. Switching gears though, completely, Fort Lauderdale has accepted a proposal from Elon Musk's boring company to build an underground transit system linking the city's downtown and beachfront. But it's not a done deal yet. Other firms have about 45 days to submit competing proposals. Fort Lauderdale would be the first city on the East Coast and the only, only the second city in the world actually to partner. With the boring company, as you can see, I wonder if that would help with traffic over there, Brian.
1: Hey, we'll see. And by the way, Christina, before we go, I gotta just say, don't. I am sorry. No, I know you're I knew nature you were Montrealer. going to do it. I knew you were going to do it. Hey. No. And, and no. I'm not not at least Les Hobbes, les Hobbes les Habitons, les Habitons, they they Habs. the Habs, les habitants. Les habitants. I have. so far. Viewers, viewers that know, and uh,
4: Brian is giving me condolences for losing. Yesterday in the game, but I don't know. I was just trying but to sleep. They
1: didn't lose.
4: Uh, we came out all they winners, right?
1: They made it, and 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 the, and the cup goes back to the hockey capital of the world, Tampa Bay. That is not the Christina, hockey capital. How does that make much. any
4: sense whatsoever?
1: It makes no sense. It makes no sense to it. a Canadian you gotta get team. Gotta know me a little bit better.
4: All right, that's, this isn't that's, over. That's,
1: that's how. V- this isn't over. It's not. You right. start talking hockey with a Canadian, all of a sudden you're at war. Yes. Christina. We'll see you in a few minutes. I hope. No. Thank you. See? I might be gone. Nervous now. All right. I'm as scared as the stock market is right now. Look at futures. That's the human equivalent of me. All right. Uh, we got a lot more to do on this busy Thursday when we come back. Doctor J, John Nigerian is here. We're going to get his take on why futures are down nearly 400, and also what the smart money is betting against right now. Plus. A $15 million diamond that can be yours. You can pay in dollars or crypto. And later, why more than three dozen states are taking issue with Google and its App Store. There's a lot more to do. Dow futures down 400. Oil and crypto also down. Don't you go anywhere. We are back right after this. All right, welcome back and Good morning. Time now for your big money movers today. We're going to give you four different big stock stories of the morning. Here we go. Stock number one, WD40, third quarter results topping forecast. They are raising revenue guidance for the year. The CEO saying he expects sales to ride by the mid to high single digits this year. Stock number two, McDonald's, rolling out its first ever customer loyalty program nationwide today. Stock three, watch Farfetch. Maybe not a name you heard of. But Kathy Wood's ARK Invest just bought nearly 600,000 shares and just under 30 million bucks. Marks two days in a row for Farfetch and Wood and for ARKW Next Generation Internet Fund. Farfetch, by the way, is a UK-based luxury e-commerce site. We're going to give you a 4 stock, but just simply too much going on. All right, up next, cleaning up the mess in Florida and getting ready in the Carolinas. We are tracking the still big and scary tropical storm Elsa as it barrels up the eastern seaboard. By the way, stock futures, they're in a storm of their own. Dow futures off 400, Nasdaq futures down 164, Bitcoin down more than $2,000 as oil falls again as well. There's a lot more to do, and we are back right after this.
0: Today's big number. $28 billion. That's how much retail investor money flowed into stocks and ETFs last month, according to data from Vandertrack. That's the highest monthly level since
5: 2014.
1: All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on this morning's big global headlines, including... A very important update on the upcoming Tokyo Olympics as well. There's a look at futures. NBC's Philip Menas in New York now
5: with the very latest on the Olympics and more. Philip, what can you tell us? Yeah, Brian, good morning. We have breaking international news at this hour. The Japanese prime minister just announced a COVID-related state of emergency for the Tokyo region. It will last through August 22nd, which means it will directly impact the Tokyo Olympics and could potentially keep fans out of the stands. All right, let's turn now to Tropical Storm Elsa, which has been slamming the Carolinas this morning with its torrential rain and powerful winds. More than 30,000 power outages are being reported in South Carolina. Elsa has already had a deadly impact in the U.S. At least one person was killed in Florida after a tree crushed a car. Millions of people are still facing threats of flash flooding and potential tornadoes. All right, let's talk playoff hockey now. After losing game four of the Stanley Cup final, the Lightning had a chance to put away the Montreal Canadiens on their home ice. And it was Tampa that would strike first in game five. Six and a half minutes left in the second period. A brilliant pass leads to that little tapper by rookie, Ross Colton. Turns out that's all they needed. One to nothing was the final. Lightning strikes twice in Tampa as they hoist the second straight Stanley Cup. It's the third championship in franchise history. And they're the first team to go back to back in the NHL since the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2016 and 2017. So, Brian, a nice little run for Tampa Bay lately. You got the lightning right there in the NHL going back to back. The Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, and you may remember the, uh, the Rays in baseball. They won the American League pennant this year, so uh, things are going pretty well down in Tampa for sports fans.
1: Yeah, I want, does that Tom Brady guy, does he play for the Lightning? I, I swear I saw him on the bench. Maybe that was the coach.
5: I, I don't know. <laughs> He's got those good vibes, you know. I mean, Boston did it, too, when the Red Sox had their run, and you know, and then the Bruins, and, and, of course, the Patriots the Celtics. It's a good, uh, hey, hey by the way. way, City of the Future, Gorgeous place. Ybor City,
1: a little south. You got the Sunshine Skyway, Hyde Park shopping. It's a great town. And now now you got Tom Brady. (laughs) And now you got Tom Brady. We'll see see for how long. Philip, thank you very much. All All right. right. A giant diamond, a giant back to school shopping spree, and a giant sign of the continued camerafication of America. Let's talk about all that, but certainly. Not talk about hockey with Christina Partzinevolos, native Montrealer.
4: Christina. A, a, a giant reporter, too. Don't a hate great the messenger. It was uh,
1: Philip Mena who did the story. I know. Philip said it.
4: <laughs> I know. And I know that I have to move on. But uh, Carrie Price was very, very nice and took a lot of the blame. But let's move on because we got to talk diamonds, right, because people love talking diamonds. International auction house Sotheby's will accept payment in Bitcoin or Ether at the sale of a 101.38 carat diamond tomorrow. Gosh, I wonder how much that weighs. The pear-shaped flawless gemstone could fetch as much as $15 million in a single lot sale in Hong Kong. That would make it, according to Sotheby's, the most expensive physical object ever publicly offered for purchase with cryptocurrency. I need that. The retail industry is set for its biggest back-to-school shopping season in at least five years. This, according to a new forecast from Deloitte, spending on back-to-school items is expected to reach about $32.5 billion this year. That's up 16% from last year. So according to the report, technology will likely be a key area for spending, but apparel is actually forecasted to make the biggest comeback. Sales for the season expected to soar 46% compared to 2020. Last but not least, TikTok is testing a job application tool that would allow users to directly apply to jobs with video resumes. Chipotle, Target, and Shopify are among the 30 companies that have already signed on to the pilot program called TikTok Resumes, which will last until the end of this month. Users will have to create a video resume, post it on TikTok, and then send that video to recruiters through the app. Brian, what do you think about this? If we shift and we get rid of all of those paper cover letters. Remember when we had to do that, write a nice cover yeah, letter Yeah, sure. And well, then who hand needs over?
1: to yeah, just make a make a video, make a short video who needs to list out their lifelong ac- accomplishments. It's, just, it's the continued camerification uh, of the world. And by the way, help me out with my my poor French. I don't speak Quebecois, but I think with regards to the Montreal Canadiens, the term Plus sa chance, plus c'est la même chose. Comes changes, to mind. What did I just the rain,
4: say? same thing. Or, yeah, that's, uh, you can use that for absolutely everything. The more things change. Egos, right? Isn't, the, the that, isn't things, that you, right, Brian, right now? The more things change, maybe with each passing day, the more you stay the same.
1: <laughs> that, well, I get older.
4: Sorry. Get <laughs> that was a bad balder, insult. A I'm older. sorry. The, 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 the it's, you know what? You're, you you're can, a little, you enjoy
1: it's, it. it's, it's hockey. I should. My cousin lives in Canada. I should know. Never talk hockey with the Canadian unless they win. Otherwise, just ignore it.
4: Yeah, that's why I didn't say anything. And I talked about the news at hand about a big diamond.
1: Je suis très intelligent.
4: You Christina, are... thank you very much. <laughs> what is that i to do? <laughs> okay, you intelligent.
1: Coming man. up. Up. Oh, thank you. Oh, thanks for saying that, by the way. Coming up, stocks set to sink. Dow futures, they are down 416 points right now. Futures down big. Bond yields tumbling again as the 10-year yield could crack below 1.25%. Oil also selling off. There are real and growing concerns that the OPEC deal, maybe OPEC itself, could break up. setting the world into an every country for itself mode and putting much more oil on the market. There is a lot to do on a very busy Thursday, and we are back right after this red alert dow futures down 400 as stocks look to a possible summer swoon bond yields tumbling as well and nearing their lows for the year it is not just stocks oil also down as there are growing concerns the current opec deal maybe opec itself could be at risk of dumping more oil on the market and one of wall street's biggest ceos jamie diamond says You better get back to the office and fast. While other CEOs do the same, it is Thursday, July 8th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back in. Busy Thursday morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I am Brian Sullivan here. And here's how your money and investments look right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. And it is a lot of red on the screen. We are seeing Dow futures down 400 points, nearly 373 NASDAQ futures off 171. And I'd like to come on the show and say, well, here's exactly the reason why this is happening. But I'm going to tell you, I have no idea. There is no major screaming headline out there that, It suggests that stocks should sell off. There is no uh, attack anywhere. There is no big headline. There is no anything that suggests that we should have a 400-point sell-off on the Dow. But we are seeing it. As you heard Lori Calvacino of RBC Capital Markets say at the top of the show, maybe it's just kind of a culmination of a lot of things that are going on, as well as perhaps just some seasonal summer weakness and people starting to revisit their worries about valuations and where earnings growth may be. Either way, we're also seeing a sharp move down for Treasury yields. As stocks sell off, bonds get bought, something we've seen, by the way. Bonds have been getting bought for the last number of weeks. And the benchmark 10-year yield is below 1.3%, the lowest since mid-February, not on its low for the year, but not that far off. Now, if you remember, on this show, I don't know, two months ago, six weeks ago, Guggenheim Scott Minard came on and said, that he said he thought that stock or bond yields were going to go lower, maybe in the year below 1%. Everybody disagrees with that. The the call generally is above 2 He was seen as a huge contrarian. Scott's fine, lost it, whatever. Well, that call is looking pretty good. And by the way, you will hear from Scott tomorrow exclusively on this show. He was right on the mark about yields. And remember back in April, he said Bitcoin could lose 50% of its value that's exactly what's happened as well. So Scott's been right on the mark about Bitcoin and bond yields. And he will join us tomorrow. You'll hear from him anyway, exclusively tomorrow on this show. That is a, uh, an interview you cannot afford to miss. If you're gone or maybe you're watching this or recording it or listening to the podcast, by the way, check out the podcast. Uh, you can tape the show or listen to the podcast later on. Europe following the U.S. lower as well. Look at that. All the European markets are down more than 1%. We got Spain and Italy down more than 2% as well. So there's a lot of selling around the world right now. Maybe some of it has to do with the fact that Tokyo has declared a state of emergency. The Olympics will go on, but there will not be any spectators, most likely. COVID starting to heat up in Australia and other parts of the Pacific Rim as well. That could be one certain big reason. All right, let's get some of this morning's other top stories as well. There's a lot more going on besides the market. Christina, is back with some of those. Christina, good to see you again.
4: Good to see you too, Brian. So we have three dozen states and the District of Columbia right now that say they've filed an antitrust lawsuit against Alphabet's Google, alleging the company operates an illegal monopoly with its Google Play app store. So the bipartisan suit was filed yesterday, and it's led by Utah and alleges the company has monopolized the distribution of apps on mobile devices that run the the Google-owned Android operating system, blocking competition through contracts, technical barriers, and other means. In a blog post, Google said it provides an open operating system in which customers are free to download apps directly from developers' websites. President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure deal could reportedly hit the Senate floor as early as July 19th. According to Politico, the White House legislative staff told Democrats on a call yesterday the administration is working alongside the Senate to have the bipartisan infrastructure bill ready for for the floor consideration as early as the next two weeks. And Jamie Dimon is taking some time to speak with CNBC contributor Bill Cohen, weighing in on everything from vaccination rates, succession, fintech competition and inflation. From the wide ranging call, Dimon says when it comes to getting people back in the office, it's all about, quote, spontaneous combustion. While referring to a recent two-day trip to California, Diamond said, quote, I saw my bankers in action. I got complaints straight from clients. I saw private bankers in action. A lot of the tech companies were telling me we should be doing things different from here with AI or Snowflake. After two damn days, you come back and you're just smarter. You know more. Then you walk around the hallways and people share articles and they share stuff they wouldn't necessarily do. You get that spontaneous combustion. Brian, if I saw you in the hallway, would that happen?
1: I, listen, I think the ultimate message here between all that is, besides talking about hockey, is that humans matter, Christina. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, in the digital age, in the digital age, humans matter more than ever, not less. More, at least I like to believe that. So, I agree. We'll see, Christina. Thank you very much. Thank you. Something we do agree on. All right, you're very welcome. Je vous en prie. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen heading to the G20 meeting in Venice, Italy, speaking of in-person, to build an effort to build support for her idea for a global minimum tax and big technology's role in any new framework. Elan Moy joining us now with more. Elan.
6: Well, Brian, we're expecting the G20 finance ministers to strike a deal in Italy this week over international taxes with major implications for big tech and the trade wars. U.S. tech giants like Facebook and Google have been singled out overseas for making money off of foreign customers, but booking those profits in places with extremely low taxes. Now, to recoup that cash, eight European countries have implemented digital services taxes aimed directly at big tech Others are working on their own proposals, and the EU is supposed to release one later on this month. To stop all this, the United States has threatened 25 percent tariffs on more than a billion dollars of iconic products from Europe. We're talking $887 million of bath salts and saving brushes from Britain, $140 million in shoes, suits, and handbags from Italy, even $155 million worth of Spanish rice and prawns. Now, currently, those tariffs are on hold while the negotiations at the G20 take place this week. The hope is that countries will drop the taxes on tech as part of that broader agreement over a global minimum tax. The U.S. would then drop the tariffs as well. Already, most of the countries in the OECD are behind that plan. The G7 has signed off as well. But businesses are really looking to this G20 meeting to give countries the green light to start hammering out the details of implementation. That's going to take another couple of months. So, Brian, if this deal falls apart, we could end up with a trade war over big tech. Back over to you.
1: Yeah, very quickly, Alon, what's China's role in all this? What about a country like Singapore? I mean, Singapore trades on low to no corporate taxes. That's the entire point.
6: Well, China signed on to the OECD framework that would get rid of some of those digital services taxes and replace it with a global minimum tax. But of course, every country is going to have to implement it themselves. That's when politics gets involved, and that's when it gets really
1: tough. It certainly does. If one big country like a Singapore, not big physically, but certainly important with global uh, business, says no thanks could see a lot of corporate headquarters certainly relocating there as well. Lon Boy, thank you very much. All right, well, it's not just stock futures down this morning. Oil prices are down for a third straight session. Joining us now is Louise Dixon, senior analyst for oil markets and analytics at Rystad Energy. Louise, it's an important day to have you back on. Is oil just kind of getting caught up in the selling of everything else? Or do you think there are growing concerns that the longer this OPEC tussle, whatever you want to call it, stretches out, the more likely it is the UAE could go its own way, prompting maybe other countries to start ignoring the rules and pumping whatever they want.
7: Yeah, Brian, that's uh, exactly correct. So the market panic has really pivoted from fearing an oil market in short supply to actually a potential breakup of OPEC plus And in fact, an overproduction free for all scenario, a la April 2020. Um, but in our view, it's
1: yeah, really I mean, do, is there a way to, Louise, for you to, to, to handicap that risk? Because, you know, we interviewed uh, the, the Saudi energy minister the other day, yesterday, Abdulaziz bin Salman, and, and we talked to him and, and he was confident that even if the new deal to add more barrels couldn't get done, that the current deal where they wouldn't add more barrels, which theoretically is bullish for oil prices, that that would hold. It doesn't appear the market, or it appears the market is starting to discount that a bit.
7: Yeah, I, I think that the current OPEC plus uh, discord really just highlights not only the fragility of the markets. And let's remember, in a very specific COVID-19 context, but also just, again, this broader animosity brewing between a group of 23 nations that are forced to come together and manage the market. But of course, these countries have direct uh, competition interests in selling their oil at the highest price possible and for the most sustainable period of time. And then to make matters more complex, there is the Iran nuclear deal, which could become sort of a key bargaining chip in determining new quotas. And we could actually also see a potentially a new deal that could actually bring in non-contributing members such as Iran, Venezuela or potentially Libya.
1: Yeah, Iran could come back on the market. Venezuela, well, the, the Venezuelan oil production is back to levels not seen since 1927. But Iran certainly could come back on the market in a big way. The UAE has said, we want to pump more oil. We have invested billions. If we stick to the quotas that are implied, we will lose disproportionately more than other nations because our capacity has gone up. Do you believe, Louise, is there a way to handicap the percentage risk? that the UAE, one of the biggest producers in the world, does leave OPEC.
7: Yeah, I think that you're correct that the UAE, as well as some of the other core Middle East uh, OPEC producing countries have done a lot of the heavy lifting in the past 13 months to rebalance the oil market. So now, understandably, they're looking for a bit more leniency in their quotas. So I think that these are some uh, very sort of prescient points that will be hashed out in the next couple weeks. Um, but from our view, we see that that OPEC plus has a bit of market flexibility. And for August of 2021, that they could bring back about one point six million barrels per day. Yeah. Uh, or the so-called uh, call on OPEC and re- and keep the keep the oil market in a theoretical equilibrium. So there is room to maneuver. Yeah, and according- but the question is, is, is y- who are these quotas going to go to? Does it go to the UAE? Does it go to Russia? Does it go to Iraq? And this is still the question that um, the jury is really still out
1: on. Well, Abdulaziz is telling us that if if if, op- if the UAE does get what it wants, Russia will have to disproportionately take more of a hit. Very quickly, Louise, what's your prediction for the U.S. producers? Prices are still much higher than they were six months ago. Let's not forget that. Will U.S. production come back online in a meaningful way? We are down nearly two million barrels from our high of just two and a half, three years ago.
7: Yeah, Brian, I I still think that U.S. shale producers uh, are still really demonstrating this reluctance to invest and increase their own production uh, to actually meet and plug the supply deficit. So, uh, and the rationale behind this is largely related to producers sort of being really locked into hedging positions at lower oil prices that don't necessarily incentivize production growth. So this increase in production to get back to this 13 million barrel per day uh, peak U.S. oil production, this is not something that we are forecasting in the near short term.
1: Or or maybe the medium term as well. We always forget about those pesky hedges. But Louise Dixon of Rystad Energy did not, and she laid it out. It's not like the old days. The wildcatters are going to pump more oil. Not in the (laughs) short term. Louise Dixon of Rystad, thank you very much. Good take. Thank you, much. All right, folks. Yeah, oil's down a bit, but not forget. You're very welcome. Let's not forget oil prices are up huge from six months ago. Okay. Speaking of oil, jet fuel demand is soaring, but maybe not in the way you think. Your morning RBI is coming up with a stunning stat on just how rich apparently everybody else is. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's turn back now to the markets on what is set to be shaping up to be a wild trading Thursday with Dow futures down 364, NASDAQ down 160. Who better to have on right now than our friend John Najarian, Market Rebellion co-founder, CNBC contributor, and just a, a perfect day to have you on, John. We we're going to talk a lot about China and the ETFs. I kind of want to blow past that, maybe get to it at the end. Uh, what the heck is going on with the stock market? I, I see no major headlines as to what may be kicking this off.
0: Well, Brian, uh, you know better than almost anybody uh, about uh, the effect that uh, crude oil prices have had uh, and the massive jump that we've seen in crude oil. So uh, demand is up dramatically, and just like demand elsewhere, uh, there's not enough supply to meet that demand, and that's why prices have gone up in food, uh, in transportation, of course, because with the restarting of the economy, we've got not only jets moving around, cruise ships moving around, Cars moving and almost all of that moves on crude oil. So uh, I, I think a lot of this is uh, people nervous about the inflation and trying to get that toothpaste back in the tube, if you will, Brian. Yeah,
1: and ten-year yields, John, at one point two six percent as well. We're seeing the VIX pick up just a bit. Are you know? Are you seeing bets being placed in the options market? You know, either you know on the S and minis. Are you seeing any macro bets being thrown out there, or is it still more stock-specific?
0: No, now we're seeing gigantic bets, you know, the, the sort that you see when people really are truly nervous, Brian. So, for instance, ProShares has a triple leverage uh, short contract on the S&P 500. And as you might imagine, since the S&P 500 is up 15 or more percent or was prior to today um, for the year, People that have bought that triple levered uh, ETF have failed mightily all year long. It's just been going from upper left to lower right. But now we see yesterday big bets coming in. Let's see. What was it? Um, uh, the August 17, I'm sorry, July 17 calls. So these expire next Friday, Brian, uh, not this coming Friday, tomorrow, but next Friday. And they were buying a ton of of these upside calls. Uh, How many of them did they buy? Oh, you know, (laughs) 40,000. I mean, they bought a ton of these upside calls. Those calls, since it's an inverse, they make money if the uh, S&P falls. And it's a triple levered call. So this is a very big either hedge, Brian, or as I said before, a bet that markets sort of melt a little bit into next week.
1: That that would seem to be, correct me if I'm wrong, John, and I frequently am, that would seem to be too big of a bet to be a straight up hedge. Eh.
0: Yeah, and most people that are going to do a hedge don't do a a leveraged hedge. They they don't do a two to one or a three to one like this one. Uh, The symbol on it is SPXU. Um, And so, again, it is just an ETF, a triple levered ETF. They get most of that leverage side from a swap contract that they do, um, but to somebody who buys it, and they bought right at the money. They bought that at 17. So they're basically saying, you know, if the S&P falls, as it is today, by a percent or more, well, this is going to move about 3% on that day. And that's exactly what's playing out so far today.
1: Listen. It's 5:54 in the morning. 4:44 in Chicago. 4:54 in Chicago. It'd be funny if it was an hour and ten minutes behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, so I want, I, want, I want to clarify exactly what you just said. For some people waking up, getting their coffee, hearing a bunch of this stuff, there is there appears to be based on that trade a gi- it's got to be a gigantic market player who appears to be making a pretty gigantic bet against the stock market in the short term. Fair to say.
0: Yes, very fair to say and very accurate. Um, And like we both discussed, sometimes these uh, bets or hedges get expressed through the VIX contract. um, And one of those big players in there is known as 50 cent because he tends to buy 50 cent priced options that are way out of the money. um, Knowing that if we did see a meltdown, that those options would pick up in value pretty dramatically and hopefully offset Either the portfolio losses or, just as we both discussed, a straight-out bet short-term that, hey, I think in the short-term we might see a snap to the downside or something. We're not just seeing that, by the way, in the U.S., Brian. This has been playing out in China in a pretty big way. Uh, both the KWEB and the FXI are seeing a lot of put activity. Uh, K Web is more or less the internet mm. uh, stocks in China. Those you know stocks tied to the internet and tech, and the FXI is the broad market ETF for China. Both of them, yeah, very large trades just in the last few days. So again, somebody thought yeah. something and, and happened John, quickly, in the last couple of days.
1: Mm-hmm. You, and you know the headline. Listen, we, we got to have headlines. That's what we do. We're in the news business, and a lot of it's going to have to do with the Fed. But the reality is, Bitcoin's down more than 2,000 right now as well, Ethereum's down 7%. I mean, those aren't Fed-related, I don't think. Just a massive selling program apparently across everything right now.
0: Right, and when you see uh, uh, broad market selling, everything goes with it. It's not just one asset class.
1: John, it's a pleasure to have you on, man, because we need your insight on a day like today. Really fascinating and important stuff about that huge bet being placed against the macro market. John, appreciate getting up early for us, buddy. Always thank you. Folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange with Dow futures down nearly 400. Big bets across the board being against the market. We will see you tomorrow with Scott Miner, Guggenheim, Squawking the gang, picking up the coverage next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.